the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Situation Report today. Glad to have you with us. My name is Jeremy Stallnecker, and I am here with Chad Robichaux. This is the show where every week we do our best to give you the information you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. And today we're going to discuss a topic that many of us spend very little time even thinking about. But it is a topic that is directly influenced by our culture, as our guest will explain today. Today we are going to discuss the topic, the issue of criminal justice reform. Uh, Criminal justice reform is one of those areas that unless you've had a direct connection to the criminal justice system, you may have very little opinion on how things are run. You may be very disconnected from what's happening. And yet lives are directly impacted both for good and for bad, based upon the system that we have to handle, to deal with, to process those who have committed crimes. And I'm very, very grateful, very honored to have our guest with us today, Governor Rod Blagojevich. Governor, I'm grateful that you're with us, and I hate that your whole bio, all of the things you've done in your life and your political career kind of boil down to what uh, really we're going to talk about today and um, what a lot of people know you for. But you were uh, indicted on some federal charges, sentenced to 14 years in prison. Uh, President Donald Trump commuted your sentence after serving eight years of that sentence. And uh, we're going to talk about criminal justice reform because since that time, that's something that you have been very outspoken about. Um, But I do want to just kind of as an asterisk or a side note to our listeners who don't know you well, uh, they need to learn about your entire career and uh, not boil your experience down to this. Uh, Served on the Armed Forces Committee, um, uh, have done so many different things over your career, but uh, really glad to have you on with us. And thank you for taking time to talk to us about uh, an issue that's very important, but one that most of us just don't understand. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy, for having me. Um, and I'd be happy to talk about that. Of course, I consider myself a real expert on that subject. I've got street cred when it comes right. to things like <laughs> incarceration. Sure. Uh, you talk briefly about my career. Let me just say that I truly believe that I did a lot of real good things when I was governor, and mm. I think I did a lot of good stuff when I was a congressman, a state rep, and a prosecutor. Right. Um, but I would say that, uh, ironically, I truly believe my finest hour, such as it is, was standing up to those criminal prosecutors, those corrupt federal prosecutors who lied and cheated and put me in prison for politics, not for mm. crimes. And this is a very big problem in America today. What they did to me at the AAA level to a Democratic governor, they tried to do at the major league level to a Republican president, President Trump. Right. Fortunately, they didn't get away with it. But I feel like my finest hour was never give in to those cowards, fighting them every step of the way, being defiant every step of the way, and taking the blows and dealing with eight years in prison and if they had it their way would have been 14 years but i was rescued by president trump who saw wrong ended it and sent me home to my family having said that on my long journey i've learned a lot of lessons about life about government about politics about people and about the criminal justice system so i think i i can provide some insights and some ideas 
on ways to make it work better. Because in the final analysis, in our country, freedom is under assault. I've learned hard lessons about how fragile freedom is. And unless we protect the rule of law and the Constitution, what happened to me will happen to you. Hmm. Yeah, it seems seems so often right now that, uh, you know, the criminal justice system is being used as a political weapon against uh, political rivals. And uh, you know, it's such a dangerous time in our country to, to see that being done. Uh, w- when we talk about criminal justice reform, uh, what, what are we trying, what are we actually trying to reform? What is the problem that actually needs to be addressed? Well, there's a lot of things that are not right with the criminal justice system. One of them is they pass these laws in Congress and I'm probably guilty of it. I may have voted for some of this stuff. It was so, hmm. they put these bills together from the committees and they send them to the House floor, and most of the members of Congress really don't know what's in the bills. But there's a tendency, and has been a tendency for the last several decades, at least since I was in politics, whether it was at the state level or the federal level, to pass laws that pretty much are broad, and they cover, they they take a one-size-fits-all approach, and they don't take into account the particulars of each individual case. And this is this leads to gross injustice. This is the way it is when they prosecute people on certain cases, and explains why, for example, the average time that a rapist spends in prison is a little more than four years. But a guy like me, a governor, gets 14 years, and I never Mm. took a penny. It explains why, for example, you have truly guilty people who should do time in prison, first-time nonviolent offenders, nonviolent offenders, first-time, being sentenced to 25, 30 years on drug cases. It's just not right or fair. You cannot have a just society if there isn't a quality of mercy involved. My Christian faith instructs me that that's how we should approach our criminal justice system. Having said that, there are really bad criminals out there who are violent, who kill people, who hurt people. They need to be prosecuted, incarcerated. Their sentences should fit the crime. The problem with the one-size-fits-all approach is the punishments don't fit the crime, and you get these unequal results where someone did little or nothing and gets a long prison sentence, and violent criminals rapists and others are doing four years or six years or eight years murderers doing six seven eight years and then of course you have the problem now with the way uh, members of my political party the democratic party are chasing democrats like me away because they've, t- they've taken this approach where they're siding with the gangbangers over the cops and that's ridiculous too and to be able to take a one-size-fits-all approach to the police is very wrong there are some bad police officers but 99 percent of the police officers are good police officers sure. public servants who put their lives on the line to keep us safe. And so I would say that the heart of the problem, whether it's how we sentence people as well as how we prosecute people, is the laws that are passed that allow for prosecutors to put individuals into larger groups that don't take into account the specifics of the individual case. That is not justice. And then the judges are required under these mandates, mandatory sentences and these... um, standards that are put forth they're required to sentence people within those parameters and given no discretion to judge them on the particular circumstances of their case uh, governor you talk about your street cred and you do have that you have a very interesting um, connection to this because you were a criminal prosecutor um, in a very difficult county in cook county uh, illinois you then experienced kind of the other side of that you've dealt with it from a legislator's position. So you have a very broad view of this. Uh, Most people, however, (laughs) uh, living in the United States, particularly right now, they're dealing with COVID, they're dealing with job issues and the economy, and there are a thousand things that are up in their face all of the time. 
And I think when we talk about criminal justice reform, even that phrase, most people are very disconnected from it or just kind of default to the, well, if criminals wouldn't do crimes, they wouldn't end up where they are. How do you help someone who's not thinking about this, who really isn't concerned about it, or who has a hard, you know, a hard position on it? How do you help them to think correctly about it? How do you help them to see it right? It's, it's so complicated. Um, Chad and I were talking about this before you came on. Uh, the questions are easy to ask, <laughs> but this is a very complicated issue. How do you help someone who doesn't have their hands around it the way that you do uh, really get an understanding of it? No, you're asking, you're asking a very good question because it's a very difficult um, issue to try to communicate to the general public. Most of us, including me, I'll plead guilty to this. I mostly trusted the prosecutors. Right. It's mostly trusted the criminal justice system. I mm. believe that the FBI was always right. Mm. I believe that these U.S. attorneys couldn't possibly frame innocent people. <laughs> right. And right. the fact of the matter is, and this really goes back to the fundamentals of human nature, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts sure. absolutely. Sure. And so these people have so much power, uncontrolled power, that they can do whatever they want to do and no one holds them accountable. And part of the problem is everybody's afraid of them. And then you have these elected officials, congressmen and legislators, me being one of them. And I'm sure my hands are not completely clean on some of the things I voted for over the years. But we're out there voting for stuff. And oftentimes it depends on the mood of the country and the politicians respond to the mood of the country. So in the 1990s, it was the cool thing to be really tough on crime. That's when Joe Biden wrote that that bill that really put black people in prison for disproportionately long sentences, first time nonviolent offenders. Joe Biden did that to the black community. But that was the 1990s. It was fashionable for politicians to be tough on crime and not be smart on crime. Now it's been different. The politics has changed and members of my party have gone to the other extreme and everything is to protect real criminals at the expense of law and order. And so it is hard what you're saying to explain to the public you know, the difficulties, all I can say is every case is different. The circumstances yeah. of, of each case is different. The officer in Minnesota who killed George Floyd, that tape pretty much says what he did. That was wrong. And he's now being held accountable for that. But to indict every police officer for that is ridiculous. Yes. But here we go with that one size fits all approach. Mm-hmm. And then they disarm the police officers as they're doing in places like Chicago, and the Democrats are doing this. Democratic governors, Democratic mayors, our mayor here in Chicago, they're disarming the police officers. They've declared war on the police officers because that's the politically fashionable thing to do uh, among Democratic politics. And as a result, we have record murders, high crime in Chicago, and gangbangers shooting up the city with impunity, feeling no pressure whatsoever. So I'm going off a little bit on a tangent because I don't have a simple answer. It's very difficult to try to explain this. I, I think it just gonna, it's going to take a lot of work. Yeah. But I do think that our lawmakers and, frankly, our judges need to be a lot more involved in recognizing that you can't have these broad, one-size-fits-all approaches to our criminal justice system because it's ripe for injustice and for wrongs on both ends. Real criminals are getting away scot-free or easily, and people who've made mistakes who deserve a second chance are put in a position where they don't get a second chance. So I think they have to rethink the whole system. And then you got to make the system accountable where these prosecutors with this uncontrolled power, especially the ones at the federal level Mm. who are weaponizing their power 
to be used for political purposes, those yeah. people, yeah. well, they ought to have their asses thrown in prison because they're the ones who are going to destroy our democracy and steal from the people our right yeah. to choose our own leaders through free, fair, and honest elections. You don't like the president you elected, unelect him in the next election. But we don't need these prosecutors criminalizing that and trying to destroy yeah. presidents or governors when they can't beat them in elections. And what they're doing to President Trump now in the post his post presidency, chasing him with these with investigations <laughs> right. they're in search they're they're investigating him not because they have crimes they're looking for stuff yep. they can say right. are crimes because they want to destroy him this will destroy our country whether it's republicans doing it to democrats or democrats doing it to republicans yeah. and that needs to be addressed yeah what it's you say, man, so many great things there, and you're right about all of it. I think, and I've, I've kind of observed over the last year or so, with the polarization in our country, nuance is completely gone. We do not have the ability in the United States of America to look at a situation, to take in the evidence, and decide what should be done. You're either for it or you're against it. You're either left or you're right, which means you either hate the president or you, you think he's the second coming of, you know, whatever. There is no nuance, and it's killing us, even particularly as we look at, you know, the criminal justice system. It's destroying us. That's a profound statement you made, Jeremy, across the board. Put aside the criminal justice reform issue on all the issues. What you're just saying is profound and very important. The, the, um, the, the sort of polarization of American politics today, and you can't find a place where you can even throw out ideas without right. one side or the other attacking you and not being willing to listen. And part of, and a lot of it has to do with, well, the new, the nature of social media, which is new to me because I've been, well, I was sheltering in place for eight years. I missed a lot of this <laughs> stuff. I'm coming home and now on Twitter. And I noticed you can't really make an argument on Twitter. Right. You know it, you want the characters. And so you have these sort of short, brief little statements. <laughs> you can't fully explain anything. And this has to be harmful to the public dialogue. Agreed. And democracy is founded on the idea of people talking to one another and trying to find common ground and making those who we elected accountable to us. So yes, what you're saying is a profound point. And I don't have the answers except to say, There's, that's a problem. We've identified a problem. We've got to figure out a way to fix it. I wanted to take a minute to let our audience know about the work that we do through an incredible veterans nonprofit called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Many of our nation's warriors struggle with the hardships of military service and reintegration back into civilian life. Often they leave broken homes in their aftermath and comprise one of the most at-risk groups for suicide, with over 20 veterans who take their lives every single day. Mighty Oaks tackles this critical issue with our faith-based peer-to-peer resiliency and recovery programs offered at no cost to our honored servicemen and women at beautiful ranches across the United States. Mighty Oaks has one of the highest success rates of any program available anywhere. Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org to learn more about how you can make a direct impact in the lives of our servicemen and women to help them find a new life purpose through hope in Christ. Again, that's MightyOaksPrograms.org. Witnessing the transformation that these men and women go through is absolutely incredible. There are no words to describe seeing warriors restored to the lives they were created to live, changing their legacies for eternity. Your support is needed now more than ever and will ensure that our programs are here for our warriors who are in desperate need. Again, the website is mightyoaksprograms.org. What do you think the, uh, the impact for private prison, the private prison system has on the world of criminal justice? Yeah, I think it's very bad. I think it provides an incentive for a profit motive to keep people in prison longer. I think it's terrible and uh, and very wrong. And uh, they need to undo that as soon as possible. 
Yeah. The idea that they, you know, you can profit on someone doing more time in prison. You see, one of the things I learned about real life being where I was, it wasn't just me there. I was there with a whole bunch of other guys. And by the way, I, I have bragging rights. I'm the only governor to be put in a higher security prison. Those other guys were in those camps. They put me behind the razor wire. It's another place I have street cred. That's, a lot. That That's a lot of street cred. I have a lot of street cred. I'm in there with murderers and drug dealers and cartel members and bank robbers and there was only like 2% white collar. There was only one governor. It was me, right? I'm in there with Crips and Bloods and, uh, you know, Sudeños and Norteños and Tejanos and white Aryan nation guys. I mean, you know, all tatted up muscle guys. And yeah. they got their different great gangs. They call them cars in prison. They have certain rules and all the rest. So I, when it comes to something like this, I, I truly believe I've had a hard experience. Yeah. Yeah. that gives me the ability to be able to talk about this in more depth than let's say a typical governor who did some time in prison because I was in the big prison. Yeah. Having said that, let me simply say again that uh, I, I think an advantage, I, I shouldn't call it advantage because this was a miserable journey, but I, yeah. I feel like, I feel God has a plan for all of us and there was a reason why this happened to me. And I feel because I went through what I went through, learned what I've learned that I think people will listen because of the unique experience and my insights, my observations can be helpful. So one of them is, you know, you're, you're where you are, you're lonely, you yearn for your children, your wife, you, you worry about them. You can't protect them. You can't provide for them. You're in a faraway place. You're lying in bed on your top bunk in a six by eight foot prison cell, mm -hmm. four cement walls, a big heavy iron door that shuts you in. You look through the bars of a little window late at night and you look out at the lights of a flashing plane flying overhead and you indulge yourself and imagine wouldn't it be just nice if i can be on that plane with my two little girls and my yeah. wife flying who knows where doesn't matter anywhere but where i am and then when you're in the visiting room and you visit your family mm. which is infrequent because they're far away and they have lives of their own and you don't want to burden them and your kids are growing up you don't want them to be constantly seeing yeah. daddy in prison yeah but then you look around and you say but you're not the only one look at those other families who are going through what they're going through and yeah you got a gang banger and a drug dealer who's who should be in prison because he's guilty but they put this guy in prison for 25 years and there's no violence in his record and there's his little girls and his little boys and his mom and his wife or girlfriend and they're visiting and we don't see the the other casualties that are caught up in the yeah. system and again i'm not saying don't put criminals in prison by all means what I'm saying is that you cannot have a just society based on, you know, the Judeo-Christian ideas that are taught in the Bible if you don't have a quality of mercy involved in some of the sentencing. And the fundamental question is, you know, if you haven't done something evil, you've done things wrong but not evil, yeah. you know, the punishment should fit the crime. And you should be given a chance at forgiveness, redemption, yep. atonement and redemption. And in too many cases, that is not the case today. And by the way, there's no correction. There's little or no correction in the correctional system to provide these guys with the skills they need so they can go out and be employable when they finally get their time done. That's good. What, uh, so there's a problem, it's big. <laughs> what, what can people do? People that want to get involved, people that, man, what you just said over the last you know, two or three minutes is extremely compelling. Um, through the work that we do with veterans, we've had an opportunity to work in uh, state prisons here in California. And um, man, so many thoughts when you go into a prison from as an outsider, 
to minister, to serve, but coming through the visiting room, seeing the families lined up outside, many of whom have driven for hours to get there, to stand in the sun, to go and visit uh, their family members, and to hear the stories and the rest of it. Uh, we want to do something. I think a lot of people just don't know what to do. What, what can people do, or where can they start if they want to get involved? Thank you, Jeremy. And I understand you guys have served in the military in our country, so thank you very much for your service. That's another thing I'd like to just address briefly, and then I'll talk about what I think people can do. But I saw this too. Again, I was there for eight years. I was there for, well, 2,896 days. Wow. So I had a chance to see a lot. And I saw a lot of guys who served our country in the military who did, were doing time because they were selling meth or they may, have, they may have been selling cocaine, all wrong, and they should be held accountable and uh, brought to justice. However, here again, a lot of these guys got these massive sentences mm. and their previous records were not criminal at all. Their record was that they served their country. Some of those guys were in Afghanistan, mm. some were in Iraq. Mm. Some of them suffered from PTSD because of their service, putting their lives on the line to protect us and keep us safe, fighting for their country. Yep. And then they were in prison with these long sentences and, and they would tell me about their sentences. And I'd ask them, well, did the judge take into account your service in the military? Did the judge take into account your PTSD? In some cases, the judge did, but in all too many cases, the judge didn't. The judge was locked into the mandatory sentencing provisions these prosecutors yep. insist on, and the Congress passes. So these are the kinds of things that really need to be addressed. And I think one of the best ways to do it is to find individual cases that are glaring, the glaring wrong or injustice, and finding, for example, a serviceman or woman who served and now is doing some time in prison, but has been given an outrageous sentence, highlighting that and educating the public, those kinds of things are very helpful. Yeah. Organizing families who know what it's like, getting together and joining organizations that are devoted to trying to get changes in the criminal justice system to lobby our lawmakers, very important. And they shouldn't feel like they can't make the changes because they can and they will. Mm. I know from my own experience as a state lawmaker and a congressman, when the people get together united, working for a common cause, the politicians respond. They fear the people. They don't trust the people. Yeah. They fear the people. Yeah, and if true. they feel like moms and families are organizing uh, to get a, a better criminal justice system, they're going to listen and they're going to respond. And they're going to address some of those issues. The goal is for we, the people, all of us, to be active, whether it's the issue of criminal justice reform, what they're teaching at school by getting involved in local school board elections, fighting for our veterans and the rights of those who served our country, whatever the issues may be, whether it's politically on the right side of the spectrum or the left, being active, involved, that's how it's supposed to be. And you shouldn't get punished for that. Yep. And you shouldn't have an attorney general like this guy Garland who's <laughs> using the FBI now to go after moms right. who are uh, protesting some of the decisions that their local school boards. That's yeah. totally not how our democracy is supposed to work. And that, my friend, is frightening. That is frightening. Uh, Governor, uh, I'd love to talk all day. <laughs> I know you have uh, other things to do. Where can people follow you or learn more about you? Twitter, of course, just mentioned Twitter, but uh, any other places you'd like for people to look you up or to follow you? Well, I have a, I have a podcast called Lightning Rod. You can get me on Spotify, awesome. iTunes, WLS. I do cameos where people actually hire me to give shout outs, oh, which is cool. kind of cool. I never yeah. thought such a thing existed, but I actually <laughs> earn money and help pay the mortgage over here. That's awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, my Twitter page, I, I think my Twitter thing is, I don't know what it is, Blagojevich R or something. 
We'll get it out there. We'll, new to me. I'm sorry. What? We'll look it up. We'll get it out there, and we'll put it on the uh, on the notes on the on this episode too. So yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Twitter, um, your podcast. I need to check that out. That uh, that sounds great as well. So thanks for that. Um, thanks for your time. Thanks for uh, thanks, just your transparency. It's it's uh, if I can say it, refreshing <laughs> uh, just to have someone who's as honest and as transparent as you are about these issues. And on the other side of a life altering event, trying to use that to help others. Thank you for doing that. Thank you, Jeremy. Can I say one last thing before Please. I say goodbye to you guys? And by the way, again, thank you for having me. And thanks for your service. I can't help but see the chat has those the American flag and the guns behind it. Yeah. I want to confess, I, I once was given an F minus by the NRA when when I was a state lawmaker running <laughs> sure. for Congress. I That's a pretty I low deserved, grade. <laughs> I think I deserved a D, not an F minus. But I, I remember hearing the argument. I came from an urban district with a lot of gang violence. I remember hearing the argument by the other side that they didn't want what they called a slippery slope. Because once you start tinkering with a constitutional amendment like the Second Amendment, yeah. the fear is, you know, give an inch, take a mile. And their big fear was the government taking away our freedoms. And I never really understood that argument they would make. I never really appreciated it fully until what happened to me happened. Yeah. And now I do. I very much understand it because it's right, because it is a slippery slope. And the more power you give to the government, the more they take and the more they use and the more they're likely to abuse because that's human nature. Yes. And so I want to say to you guys and to your listeners, if I were congressman again, I would never get an F minus from the NRA. I'd probably get a B. <laughs> awesome. Right, great. Well, I, love, I love that. <laughs> well, thank you, Governor. Really appreciate it. And uh, I hope that we can do this again. We'll, uh, we'll talk and try to find another opportunity to talk. But uh, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. And uh, look forward to having you on again. Thanks very much. Good luck to you guys. Yes, sir. Thank God you. God bless, Governor. As we consider everything that was just said, and uh, man, what a great conversation, very thankful for it. I I want to boil that conversation down to just a few key thoughts. This is today's situation report. Number one, and I'm very, very grateful that this point was made by the governor, that in a system founded upon Judeo-Christian principles, when we look at even the criminal justice system, there needs to be both justice, (laughs) but also mercy. Justice and mercy. We talked about nuance. We talked about looking at each situation individually. And certainly that's something that must be done. Uh, There is no one-size-fits-all solution. And when we think about justice, sometimes that's a one-size-fits-all solution. There also needs to be mercy. We need to consider exactly what's happening in the case before us. Uh, That's number one. Uh, Number two, again, a wonderful point that was made, uh, is that there is a lot of collateral damage that takes place when we don't get this right. Uh, This is a very complicated issue. It's very difficult to understand. Uh, Again and again, throughout this interview, uh, the statement was made, we're not exactly sure how to go forward, but we need to figure it out. Why? Uh, Well, there are those who are involved directly, those who were processing through the system, but there are also families. There are also communities. There are a lot of folks who are involved kind of in a collateral sense with what's happening. A lot of damage will be done if we don't get this right, and so we need to continue to work to get it right. And then finally, the big what can we do about it question. Uh, The point was made, and so clearly, that Our freedoms will be taken from us when we allow 
the system, in this case our politicians, our elected officials to make decisions on our behalf. We need to let them know what we want them to do and then hold them accountable to act in the way that we elected them to act. Uh, Not just for this issue in front of us, criminal justice reform, but on all issues related to our freedom as Americans. We need to hold those accountable who we have elected to represent us. What a great, great point. Again, very grateful for this conversation and I hope that you were as well. This is one of those areas that you probably, probably, you may be different, but probably don't spend a lot of time thinking about. We need to think about these issues because they directly impact our lives, our communities, and the folks that we know. Thank you for listening. Really appreciate it. We will talk to you next time. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.